We're going to do the third uh, installment in our Stretch It Out series. And uh, we're talking about how to embrace the pain of a growing faith. When you, when you get ready to do some physical exercise, you're going to, you know, work out or run or, or, you know, yard work or whatever, stretching is a really good idea, okay? It loosens up your muscles. It gets you prepared for what's coming next. And in the same way, I believe that God puts things in our lives that, that, that cause us to have to stretch, to, to get to a point where there's, there's pain involved. And it's to prepare us for what's next. And so what we want to learn to do is embrace that pain. Embrace the pain of those difficult moments of life. To understand that that, that pain is not a punishment from God. It's not, it's not because God doesn't love you. That pain is a part of a growing faith. James says that really clearly in James chapter 1. This is our kind of a key text for this series. Uh, James uh, is writing to people who know what persecution is like. These are Christians who started out in Jerusalem, and then they started killing Christians in Jerusalem. So all these Christians left, uh, left their homes, left their families, left their jobs, and moved away. And James is writing to, to these persecuted believers. Here's what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James says there's, there's a time coming when you're, you're, you're going to be mature. When, when these things are not going to hurt you anymore, they're not going to bother you anymore. But first, there's this time of testing. And, and in that time, you're going to face the reality that your endurance has limits. There are limits to what you can take. There are limits to what you can do. There are limits to what you can accomplish. We don't like the idea of limits, do we? That's one of my least favorite road signs, <laughs> the speed <laughs> limit, right? I, I'd rather not have that. I'd rather not be reminded that, that there are things I can't do, that there are, there are things that are going to come to an end for me. We don't like to be reminded that there are limits on our, our physical ability. There are limits on our intellect. There are limits on our financial abilities, even that there are limits on our lives. I mean, you don't wake up every morning going, all right, one day closer to death. Here we go. We don't, we don't think that way. That's not exciting. That's not fun. But limits are a reality. And, and I have to learn to embrace this. I, I'm trying to learn this. As I get older, my limits are stacking up some painful ways. So we, I was out walking with my family in the neighborhood uh, last week, and I was feeling pretty good, so I decided to challenge my son to a race, my 15-year-old. And I know I can't beat him straight up. I just know that. We're, we're past that point. But I thought, if I get a little bit of a head start, I can get a victory. I feel a little good about myself. So he gave me about a 20-foot head start or so, and we, we ran about 40 yards. And uh, guess who won? Not me. Yeah, no, Sorry. That's not how the story ends. I lost twice because I was stubborn enough to do it again. I thought, if, if I had five more feet of a head start, I can do it this time. Nope, still can't beat him with a head start. And that, it's painful to me to have to accept that, that I have reached this limit in my life where I cannot outrun my son anymore, even with a head start. It's, it's really hard to accept. But we, this is part of life, right? We have to embrace this what, what if, though, these limits are a good thing? What, what if they're there for a reason? What if God puts those limits in our lives for a reason? Limits can be a really good thing in your life. If you have a limit on how much you eat, 
that's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, that keeps you healthy. The speed limit, as much as some of us don't like it, actually is a good thing. It, it, it saves lives. Limits on how much you spend, how much you drink. These are good things. What, what if the limits that you keep running into in your life, that, that you feel like are holding you back, what if that's there for a reason so that God can do something else in your life? So we're going to talk today about how to embrace limits for the sake of what God is doing. And we're going to learn from the life of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet uh, to the nation of Israel. This is uh, after the time when, when God's nation, uh, uh, his chosen people actually split into two nations. There was a southern kingdom called Judah and the northern kingdom called Israel. And Elijah's a prophet to Israel. So God is going to speak to Elijah and, God, and Elijah's going to transfer that information to the leaders of Israel. Israel never had a good king. Never had one king that followed God. And the king that Elijah particularly is dealing with is named Ahab. And some of you may have heard of Ahab's wife, uh, which is a word that you should never use to refer to another woman, guys, just in case that ever enters your mind. Her name is Jezebel. Don't ever, uh, ever call anybody that. It's bad. But, but Jezebel introduced the worship of a false god named Baal into the nation of Israel. And Elijah... Uh, he felt like it was his mission in life to remove the worship of Baal from the land of Israel. And so at one particular point, he says, let's just, let's just have a showdown between my God and Baal and see who, who's the real God. And so they, they set up this showdown on this place called Mount Carmel, and, and the real God is supposed to rain fire down and burn up this sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal pray and nothing happens and they pray some more nothing happens and they get really crazy and pray crazy ways and nothing happens and Elijah suggests that maybe Baal is on vacation or in the restroom or so I, what maybe he's just busy and then Elijah prays one simple prayer about two sentences and boom, fire everything burns up God wins because he is the one true God huge victory Elijah's so excited uh, he may have gotten carried away, I don't know, but he had all of the prophets of Baal executed. 400 prophets of Baal executed. And he won, right? This should end Baal worship in Israel. His job should be done, finished, right? Well, if it was, then there wouldn't be 1 Kings chapter 19, which we're going to read uh, together today. You ready? All right, we're going to go anyway. Okay. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Which was an ancient bible way of saying, I'm coming to kill you. Okay? Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. How many of you would enjoy waking up that way every day? Hey, look, cake. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. So Elijah uh, 
finds out that not only is the battle not over, not, not only did this victory on Mount Carmel not end Baal worship forever, but this evil Queen Jezebel is now coming after him. So he runs. He runs, and he runs not necessarily because he's afraid of dying. In fact, when he gets to where he's going, he tells God, I'm ready to die. Just take me now. I'm done. He's not afraid of dying. He's just tired of fighting. He's been fighting battles his whole life against this false god, and he just can't seem to get ahead. He can't seem to put an end to it, and he's just tired of fighting. He's done. So he lays down. He's ready to die. The angel wakes him up, makes him eat, and says, the journey is too great for you. You're about to embark on a journey, Elijah, that you cannot complete on your own. It's too hard. You're not strong enough. You're not going to make it. But if you will eat this food that God has provided, you'll get there. Maybe the journey that you're on is too great for you. In fact, if, you're, if, if you have your heart set on following Jesus, on living with him at the center of your life, I can go ahead and tell you the journey is too great for you. It's too hard. There are too many obstacles. There are too many enemies that are going to stand in your way. You're not going to make it on your own. But if you will take the strength that God has provided, you'll get there. This is what Elijah does. He takes his food that God's provided. It gives him enough strength to make the journey. Let's pick up in verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God brings him to this really special place. It's Horeb. It's called the Mount of God. It seems pretty clear that this is the same place where Moses stood when he saw the glory of the Lord pass in front of him. It's a special place where God interacts with people. And he asks him, what are you doing? And he says, I'm done. I'm done. I've tried everything I know to try. Your covenant is being broken. Your altars are being torn down. Your prophets are being killed. I'm the last one. And now they're after me. And there's an implication here, if you read between the lines, as though Elijah's saying, aren't you going to do anything about this? I've done all this work. I, I, I've done all of this work. I've been fighting this battle, essentially by myself. Where have you been? Do you, do you ever feel that way? You, you ever feel like you're fighting these battles? And, and, and if, if God would just come along and fight these battles with you, everything would go fine, but you're fighting by yourself. And you come to the end of your strength over and over again. This is where Elijah is, and he's done. He's tired. He doesn't want to fight anymore. He's starting to take a little credit for victories that were never actually his to take credit for to begin with. And that's a problem. He runs into this, this limit, this, this end of himself. And he looks back and he goes, look at all this stuff I've done, and it really hasn't made a difference when actually he's not the one who did all those things to begin with. Who won the battle on Mount Carmel? Elijah or God? Elijah seems to be a little confused about that. This is like if you, you know, if you've ever had guys that 
You know, you've got a date coming over for dinner. You're going to cook for her, right? Problem is, you can't cook. So, you have mom come over and cook the meal and then leave. And then your, your, your friend comes over and you're able to go, check it out. Look what I made. Braised short ribs, asparagus. It's beautiful. And you begin to take credit for something that somebody else did. This is kind of what Elijah's doing. God, God, I did, look at, look at all these things that I've done. And God's going, wait a minute. You, you think you did that? You think you rained fire down from heaven on this altar? Sometimes we get to the end of ourselves and we, we get confused about our own past, our own history. And our limits are there to remind us that our victories, our greatest victories, were not won by us. They were won by God. Your greatest victories, first of all, your greatest battle in your life is the battle against sin and death. That's the the toughest battle any human being will ever have to fight, is your battle against sin and death. Can you win that battle? No. Jesus already won it. That's, That's what the cross was all about. Jesus already won your greatest battle. And every significant victory in your life was won by God, not by you. What what have you overcome? Have you overcome a a, a terrible past? Have you overcome an addiction? Have have you overcome uh, relationships that have broken? How do you think you did that? Are you taking credit for that? Our limits are there to remind us that our greatest victories are won by God and not by us. So Elijah is here to be reminded of that. He feels all alone. He feels like he's failed. Even though it's clear that he hasn't, it's clear that he's not alone. There are other people, but he feels alone. And that's really all it takes to lead him into this place of depression and despair and, and discouragement. All these bad things have happened. I've done everything I could to stop them, and it didn't work out. And God, you didn't seem to help out much. Elijah has realized, I am not strong enough to fight one more battle. I'm not capable of this. And this is exactly where God wants him to be. Maybe you've run into the same thing. You've been fighting this battle for years. And you can't seem to put it behind you. And you finally decided, I'm just not, I'm not talented enough I'm not smart enough to figure this out. I'm not spiritual enough to trust God through this. I'm not, I'm not faithful enough. I'm not disciplined enough. I'm not tough enough. I'm not loved enough. And maybe that's exactly where God wants you. Because when we are able to recognize that I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, we can turn to God, who is. He is. We were never intended to do this alone anyway. Maybe you're not blank enough. Maybe that's a good thing. I'm not a good enough preacher to change lives, but God is. I'm not a good enough leader to grow a church, but God is. I'm not a good enough husband to have a thriving marriage, but God is. I'm not a good enough father to ensure that my kids grow up to follow Jesus. But God is. And maybe that's exactly where he wants me, is the place where I can admit, I'm not strong enough for this. Because that's when I begin to turn to him. 
Paul figured this out for himself. The, the apostle who was the greatest missionary, we kind of look at Paul and go, was there ever a better Christian than Paul? He, he must have not had any limits in his life, right? No, Paul says, I've got this weakness. I've got this, he called it a thorn in his flesh. And he prayed multiple times, God, would you take this thing away from me? I think Paul was convinced this thing was holding him back from being effective at his job. God, I would be so much better at preaching the gospel, so much better at starting churches if you would take this weakness away from me. And here's God's answer, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. It is your weakness, Paul, that lets me do my thing. So Paul's response to that, when he finally figures it out, and this is what I want to be able to say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This weakness, this obstacle, this thing that is holding me back, this limit I keep running into, praise God for it. Because this is what allows the power of God to work in me to do things I never could have accomplished on my own. Wouldn't that be a great place to be where you can praise God for your weaknesses? That's where I want to be. That's where Elijah needs to get to. So let's continue, verse 11. So God says to him, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. It's almost as though God was showing Elijah that the places you expect me to show up and the things you expect me to do are not necessarily the places I'm going to show up, not necessarily the things I'm going to do. We expect God to show up in these supernatural ways. God, would you just, just come in and change my circumstances? Like, just drop some money on me, drop some healing on me, drop, drop some restored relationships on me in a supernatural and miraculous way. God, we're just waiting. We're waiting for the miracle. But it was in the low whisper. It's really more like a, a, a phrase that doesn't actually make sense, the sound of silence. That, that's what actually happened here. It was in the sound of silence. And Elijah had been so busy doing the work of the Lord. I mean, he's doing good things, right? But so busy that he never sat down and got quiet enough to hear the voice of God until he runs into the end of himself. He runs into these limits. And these limits give him a chance. Actually, they force him to stop and rest. Are you able to do that? Are you able to stop and rest? Are you able to say, I'm not, I'm not just going to wait for a miracle. I'm not just going to keep going and, and keep, keep all these plates spinning and keep my calendar full and, and, and never sit down because God's, God's going to show up and do this miracle when, when maybe he just wants you to sit still and be quiet for a minute. Nothing will slow you down like an injury, right? Have you ever had that happen? That, that, that'll put the brakes on really quick. That's a limit that we don't want to have to face. I have a young friend named uh, Christian Taylor. And in, uh, in 2012, Christian was the gold medal Olympic champion of the triple jump. Uh, he, he won the gold medal 
in the triple jump, which if you've ever seen that, it's a really complicated, I would fall down just trying that, but he's really good at it. The next year in his, in his uh, track season, he had a, an injury to his, his right foot, his, his jumping off foot, and he wasn't able to jump anymore, uh, at least not well at all, not at an Olympic level. And so he stopped. He stopped training. He sat down. Christian is, is a, a young man with a faith in Jesus, and he sat down and he prayed. And it was a point where his career might have been over behind him. One gold medal and done. But he went to his coach and he said, what if I just learned to jump off my left foot? And his coach said, that people don't do that. You can't just switch the foot you jump off of. It's never, you know, never been done at this level. And he said, well, let's not let that stop us. So he began to train jumping off his opposite foot. And, and he went through one difficult year where he just could not compete at the level that he was used to competing at. Then he went through another year where he got better, and the third year where he got better, and he went back to the Olympics in 2016 and won the gold medal again, jumping off his opposite foot. Never been done before. But it was when he came face to face with this limit that he took time to stop. It forced him to stop and reconsider and reevaluate and listen. Maybe, maybe that's what needs to happen to you. Maybe that's what's happened. You're kind of looking around going, yep, I'm hurt. I am hurt. I, I, I can't function like this anymore. This is the opportunity to stop and rest and listen to God. But maybe you don't have to get to the point where you get hurt before you stop and listen. Wouldn't that be great? Isn't that what we try to teach our kids? Don't, don't go until you hurt yourself. Stop. Sit. Listen to God. Our limits are here to permit us or maybe even force us to rest and listen. So what does God say when Elijah finally stops and listens? Verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meloah, you just got to rip it out there like you know what you're doing. And uh, shall anoint him to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So what, what does God say to Elijah when he finally sits still and listens? Is it the news that Elijah wants? Guess what, buddy? You can hang it up now. You're done. Let's just call it. You know, we weren't going to win anyway. No. It's, all right, go back out there and finish. Go back out there and finish strong. But finish knowing that you are not alone. He gives him a couple guys that he's going to put in authority, and these guys are going to carry on the battle against Baal worship in Israel. And then he gives him an apprentice, Elisha, this is the guy that's going to take your place. This is the guy that's going to do your job because your time is coming to an end. Like your finish line is right out there. It's, it's right out there. You're just not there yet. So finish strong, but know that you're not alone. Maybe when you get the time to sit and be still and you're waiting for God to just say, all right, look, you, you can be done I'll take it from here. You don't have to do anything else. Maybe that's not what he's going to say. 
maybe what he's going to say is, okay, get, get back out there. Let's finish this battle together and, and find some people who will fight alongside of you. That's what the church is intended to be. This, this gathering of believers, this is intended to provide us people who are going to fight our battles with us, who are going to walk through life with us. That's why we have microchurches. It's hard to get to know people on a Sunday morning like this, so we break down into smaller groups during the week to give you a chance to build relationships with people who are going to fight battles with you so that you can finish strong but not alone. You are never meant to fight these battles by yourself. And maybe it's when you run up against your limits that you realize, I, I've, I'm not done yet. I still have work to do. As long as I'm breathing, there's a mission in front of me, but I do not have to fight this battle alone. I uh, discovered this uh, artist named Phil Hansen this week. Phil Hansen uh, was an uh, art student who was very talented and focused on a, a particular form of art called pointillism, uh, which is making images out of tiny dots. So he would just draw lots of tiny dots and make these images out of them. But in doing this for, for so many years, uh, he actually developed uh, nerve damage in his hand that caused his hands to shake. And he got to a point where he couldn't draw the tiny dots anymore. They were just squiggles. And he couldn't even draw a straight line at all. So he decided, I'm done. Art career is over. He dropped out of art school. He quit art. A few years later, he went to his neurologist, uh, he, and his neurologist found out that he used to be an artist, and he said, why did you give it up? And he said, I can't, <laughs> I can't draw a straight line, you know, my hand shakes, doctor. And the neurologist said, well, what if you just embrace the shake? What, what if you just make that a part of how you do art? And he said, well, I'll try it. So this that you're looking at is his first attempt at embracing the shake. Not bad, huh? For someone who can't draw a straight line, he did it with squiggly lines, a shaky hand. He learned to create art using the limitation that he thought ended his career. And Phil Hansen, you guys need to look him up. He, he, he does some incredible artwork. He's kind of blown up the box of what art really looks like. He, I'll just tell you this one, that you're, you're going you're to have to go look this up. I watched this with my son. He loved it. He did a, this thing of Bruce Lee, like making a punch by doing karate chops with paint on a wall. Just all karate chops, and it's Bruce Lee. You have to look it up. It's amazing. He's, he's a very talented and successful artist who cannot draw a straight line. Maybe the limitation that you feel like God has put in your life, maybe this thing that you've never been able to overcome, maybe this thing that every time you run into, you just get mad. You're like, God, why? Why can't I get past this? Why can't I push through this? Why am I not better than this? Why am I not smart enough? Why am I not talented enough? Maybe that's the very thing that God wants to use to show you what his power can really do. These limits that we don't like to admit, and, and we get upset when we run into them. Maybe these are here to remind us that our, our greatest victories were never won by us to begin with, but by God. Maybe they're to remind us about this truth that I'm, I'm not blank enough, but God is. Maybe they're to force us to rest, to get quiet and still and put our phones away and get away from people and listen to God. And maybe what God's going to say in that moment is, let's finish strong, but not alone. 
there's, there's more at stake here than just you and your limits. We have a mission that we're here to accomplish. It's to let our light shine before men so that they will see us and glorify God. It's to make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey the things of Jesus. That's the mission. And I think most of us look at some of that stuff and go, I, I can't do that. that I'm, I'm not gifted enough to share my faith with another person. Like, I'm not, I'm not good at that. That's, that's for evangelists. That's not for me. We look at that and we go, I'm not, I'm not really strong enough in my faith to take risks for Jesus. You know, that's something that, that, that you know, maybe pastors do. But I'm, not, I'm just not the kind of person. I'm not going to make these big sacrifices for the sake of Jesus. I'm just, I don't have that kind of faith. I, I'm not generous enough to give significant portion of my income away. I'm, I'm just not that, that generous. Maybe those limits are the very thing that God wants to use to bless other people through you. You have people in your world that God wants to reach. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And maybe he wants to use you and your limits to reach those people. For us to be willing to say, no, I'm not gifted enough to tell someone about Jesus, but Jesus is. So I'm, I'm going to be faithful and obedient, and I'm going to let him do his job. You know, I'm not, I'm not really, I don't really have a strong enough faith to, to walk around and say that Jesus is at the center all the time, but, but Jesus is strong enough. I'm just going to be faithful and obedient with what I can do and trust him with the rest. I'm not generous enough to, to be really free like that with my resources, but Jesus is. Maybe I just let him do that and bless other people through me. Maybe your limits are the very thing that God wants to use in your life to reach somebody else. Embrace them. Embrace those limits because God is doing something in you and through you. Don't let those limits stop you because they can't stop him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my limits. Thank you for my weaknesses. The things that I have often wished were not even a part of my life that I've often prayed you would just take away from me. But I am learning to see, Father, that those are the things that you can use to reach people through me. And I pray that you would do that for me and for all my brothers and sisters here, that we would grow to trust you enough to let you do your part. God, I pray that when we, when we run into our weaknesses and, and the things that we can't do, that, that becomes an opportunity to let you do what you can do. And would you use us then, Father, so that more and more people will see Christ in us, more and more people will see how much you are pursuing them with your love, and more and more people will find freedom and joy and purpose in Christ. Would you do that among us, and may you get the glory for every good thing. In Christ's name, amen.